This is Out in the Open, where we take a look into disability, intimacy, sex, relationships, kink, and wherever else it may lead us. I'm Jared, a disability kinkster, gender-fluid queer advocate. My co-host and Hal on Wheels, Oliver, a sex-positive kinky ally who's an advocate for disability and sex. We have a guest speaker in each episode, talking to us about topics related to sexuality and disability and everything in between. Hey, Jared. Hey, Ollie. How's it going? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Yeah, really well, really well. Sex work is often demonised in society, mainly due to the misconceptions that people have around what sex work is and who sex workers are. This is a topic that we really wanted to discuss on the podcast because sex work does play a vital role for a lot of people with disabilities as a way to express their sexuality. Today, I hope we're going to get to debunk a few of those misconceptions because we're lucky enough to have not one, but two guests on the podcast. Anya, who is a Australian-based sex worker, and Mark, who is a friend and client, who also identifies as having a disability. And they've uh, together had a long-term connection, and I thought it was awesome that they wanted to maybe share a little bit about their time together. So I'll throw it over to you guys, and maybe you can start out by sharing how you first met. Sure. Do you want me to go first or? I don't mind going first. You go first. I'll go first. I was looking for someone to see, so I went on a website, usual thing, did a bit of Google searching, and I found this site called Scarlet Blue, and I looked on there, and I found Danielle, and I thought, oh, that seems pretty good. I'll just SMS her to see if she'd have any trouble seeing someone with a disability. I did that. You didn't reply straight away, but the day after you said, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't see your message straight away, but yeah. That sounds like I'd me. I'd be fine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we sort of arranged to meet, I think it was a week or so after. And from there on, we've been in touch monthly, I'd say. We catch up with each other every month or every two months. And that's been, what, about four years, I reckon? I reckon it has been around four years. Yeah, so um, I've been a sex worker for five years and I'm Adelaide-based, but I do tour around when the pandemic's (laughs) not ruining all of our fun. yeah, but I think over that four years, we've gotten to know each other really, really well. And we probably know each other more intimately than most people we, in your daily life you'd come across. I'd say that it all, the first meeting we had, we sort of you get a vibe from the person that you can let your guard down a bit and I let my guard down a bit. You let your guard down to me, and then as it's gone on, we've lowered that guard a little bit, and I reckon it's all the way down now for both of us. But yeah, that's how we sort of met. Awesome. Um, Mark, I'd love to find out a little bit more about uh, about your disability, and just really in general about how your disability affects you in your daily life. Okay, I'll give you the name of it. It's a neurological condition called cerebellar vermis atrophy. And it basically affects your balance and your limbs and the muscle workings. And as you get older, it gets a little worse. So like I started out in high school using, oh no, it's high school, but it's after high school using our walking frame and then I found that okay this is good I can get places but I'm really really tired so what I'm getting at is you know god then 
what I'm getting at is that I progress to a wheelchair and daily it affects me daily as in I can still drive but I have to use a car with hand controls it just affects me sort of balance wise and uh, like well obviously I can't stand unless I'm holding on to something hmm. um is that sort of do you need that what yeah, yeah, more information would you that's need great, that's, that's perfect thank you that's all good yeah and in terms of um obviously which is all about um sexuality and relationships so just in terms of like how how has your disability affected your you know, dating life and your your, your, what, what you want in terms of relationships? My dating life has been a big fat goose egg. <laughs> so that's a zero then, yes? That's a zero. I started out in way back in primary school letting someone know that I was interested. They sort of burst out laughing. I got a little bit you know, as a person in primary school, did you get a little bit hurt by it? So you sort of shut off yourself a little bit and I just went on about my day, my normal life. Got to high school, found someone that I sort of liked. I had another shot. <laughs> that got shot down. So after that, I just thought, Maybe it isn't for you. Just keep on going, living your life alone. That sounds bad saying alone, but living the single life. I went on and then as I sort of craved um, human contact, when I was like working in that, I sort of made some Google searches and found sex workers to be pretty good at providing that contact. It's wonderful. And um, before, before Anya, what was your experience like with, with seeing sex workers? A bit hit and miss. Some of sort of work because when I started seeing them, I didn't like mention my disability at the start. So now, when I saw Anya, I said, yeah, I've got a disability, is that okay? But yes, at the beginning, I didn't do that. So some people that visited could be a little rude and maybe made a few jokes about it. Others were quite caring and compassionate. So it's a bit of a hit and miss situation with the... Um, sex workers that I've seen. And did you did you have any long-term connections? I, there was long-term, I'd say probably a year okay. that I kept on going back and that was, she ended up leaving, um, I think the state or the industry or basically didn't get in contact or I lost contact with her. Mm. Mm. Thank you for sharing, Mark. That's all right. Mm. I actually have a question for Anya uh, really quickly, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, Anya, is, um, have you ever uh, worked with, uh, besides Mark, have you ever worked with anyone else with a disability at all in your industry? Yeah, I see lots of clients with um, disabilities. I actually worked in an industry beforehand where I was working with people who had disabilities. So for me, I think um, maybe some other escorts might be younger and they may not have life experience and, you know, everybody's experiences are different. So I would say, yeah, a significant proportion of the people that I see have disabilities in many different um, manifestations of that so it, it may be you know an issue um, with social kind of um, 
the way you'd express your social needs. So people might be on the autism spectrum or it could be somebody with physical disability or cognitive disabilities. For me, I feel completely comfortable. Um, so I don't even care if people disclose or not. It's just, it's nice to know if someone's going to have a mobility issue or, you know, I probably want to know if they have a mild cognitive issue as well so that I can prepare and ask questions around consent and those kind of things but you know people are people yeah we're all the same on the inside it's just the wrapping or the wrapping paper. <laughs> yeah. that's right that's that's a wonderful that's wonderful yeah thing to say there do you do you find um Anya uh your uh, your disability clients are a lot more uh, like uh, friendlier than your able-bodied client. Do you think they're more, you know? People are people. One thing I note though is that um, people who have disabilities really want to go for it in bed. Like, <laughs> you go. <laughs> Maybe it comes with you know deciding to express yourself and explore your body. There's, I find there's a deep connection with a lot of people very early on and people are, you know, more willing to say, hey, I've wanted to see if I can try this. I've never done this before. Can we, can we try this position or can we get a bit kinky or how about a threesome or, you know, I think maybe it's something, you know, having, having lived with not expressing your needs for such a long time and society telling you, that's not okay. Maybe when you go for it, sometimes you just go, oh, fuck it, you know. Or maybe you're a bit older as well and you decide that you might want to try some things in bed. Yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Everyone's different. Hell yeah, we can keep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested to know, like, Anya, what, what you would... Um, what kind of advice you would give to to anyone that was looking to possibly um, explore um, engaging in escort um, you know, in terms of if they did have a disability, what what um, what what should they know? I think definitely do your research. Most uh, escorts or sex workers are on places like social media like Twitter, Facebook, you know, TikTok. Have, you know, read what they say about themselves and see whether that resonates with you. Um, some people don't want to disclose that they have a disability, but sometimes that might lead to some experiences where if somebody comes to see you and, oh, they're, you know, they're a bit awkward about it, sometimes it is good just to say in your initial message, hey, I've got this disability, it means I'm in a wheelchair, might mean, you know, I can get myself in and out of bed, but, you know, I may not be able to, you know, do a particular thing or whatever. So that's useful to know, but um, just picking someone that you resonate with. And if you have a specific sort of kink need or idea or something that you want to explore, there's definitely providers that... Um, provide those kind of services. So in their advertising, they might say, hey, yes, I do do threesomes or I do, you know, I do do BDSM or whatever. Mm. So don't be shy to say, communicate. Mm. We love it. And and I know also, like we've had this conversation before and yeah, about, you know, the, the misconceptions around sex work and just in terms of um, what you provide your clients, just in terms of it not always necessarily being the sex. It can often be you know, just someone intimate to, you know, have an intimate conversation with or, you know, to be uh, able to, um, you know, just have that level of intimacy that you might not otherwise get. I mean, is that... Yeah. Well, let's face it, if it was just about sex, bookings would probably last about 10 minutes long. I think less than that, really, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You're being cold. 
Yeah. Or maybe we can do it last 20 minutes. I'm kidding. Um, it's not really about the sex. You know, people, even if people think it's just about the sex, it's often not about the sex. It's about, it was definitely not about just coming, you know. And there's people want to feel good and make somebody else feel good. So even mm. if it's just a sexual connection, it's deeper than what, what mm. you think. But we went out for lunch a couple of days ago. That's our annual Christmas catch-up. We went to, I hope you don't mind me saying one more. No, we went to right. McGill Estate. We had a beautiful lunch. We had a few glasses of wine. We swapped presents. And we, you know, it was all about us having a great time together and really enjoying ourselves. And like I said, I'd know Mark better than I'd know a lot of my personal friends, you know. And that's just because it evolves that way over time. It's not, you can't push that from the beginning. You're not going to click with everybody like that. But, you know, as you get to know each other, you really do have deep connections with people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's really, really lovely. We've had some fun. We've had some raunchy fun as well. We have. <laughs> Is that we can swim in the deep end of the pool and also paddle in the kitty end of the pool? That's right. Yeah. Actually, Mark, you look a little bit kinky. <laughs> I know David wants to ask all the kink questions, so do you want to go ahead? Um, well, I, as myself, being a kinky person, I would like to ask, yeah. What kind of little kinky things do you guys like to get up to and if you would be willing to share? Okay, I don't mind saying. Um, Anya's good with the finger in the <laughs> bottom. Pegging up in her Oh, it's okay. So <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. I never knew. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a bit of pegging there, Mark. <laughs> no. That sort of stuff. Um, what else? Well, that's the main thing that we've, we've explored a bit of light BDSM. I mean, I'm not. I'm more submissive than dominant. Likes a bit of domination every now and then. Um, so I try my best, and it ends up in fits of laughter because, let's face it, yeah. um, you know, if I'm getting a bit dominant, then I'm like, oh God, is that okay? And it's Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite interesting how a lot of people look at um, um, non-able-bodied people and think that they don't have any kind of kink whatsoever or they are not interested in kind of BDSM stuff, especially when it comes to kind of rough BDSM or kind of slapping, whipping, spanking, things like that. So... Um, I personally had an experience once with a, uh, a a very dear friend of mine with a bit of spanking, and um, basically, uh, a peop I think people were surprised because it was at an event that we were at, and um, they were surprised that um, uh, I was able to spank this person very very hard and whipped this person very very hard, and the um and the and so the person loved it, so um, you know. Yeah, it's good to be able to break the boundaries of uh, of uh, able body uh, uh, showing able body people that people with disabilities have every kind of kink and they love it. It's okay, David. You can tell people it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I was allowed to, Oliver. <laughs> Can I share my favourite memory of Oliver that I've ever... Um, Go for it. Okay? Go for it. <laughs> Please so we, share, Anya. We actually met at an event in Sydney that was all about sexuality and everything. And um, they had... What is that Japanese massage oil called? Nuru. Nuru. They had a Nuru session. And I thought, this is the first event like this I've ever been to. So I thought... I'll go to the Nuru event. I don't, I'm probably more vanilla than, you know, lots of people. Anyway, it turns out it's a big snake pit on the ground. It's got plastic sheets down and they were getting this warm Nuru oil out and everyone was sort of sliding around on each other in different states of undress. 
And I looked at Ollie in his chair and I even had this look in his face. <laughs> I could imagine what kind of look it was as well. <laughs> and his helper was just like, yeah, fuck it, this is going to happen. And the next thing you know, Ollie's covered in Nuru oil, slipping and sliding through about 30, 40 people on the floor and just with this look of glee and abject terror on his face. <laughs> And I, that's the moment I thought, I think I need to be lifelong friends with this person. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. It was so good. Yeah. That, that, was, that, that was a, a great um, point of entry into our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> we just started chatting after that and I think we've been friends ever since. So. But I'll never forget that look on your face, Ollie. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Two parts glee, one part terror. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to bring you to Sydney, Mark, for a, a, a festival similar. Sounds good. <laughs> so, getting back to the kink, anything else you'd like to share, you know, guys? Mark, Anya? I was saying one thing about kink, it's not something... Well, for me, it's not something I have in my mind before activities start that, hey, want to do this. For me, kink sort of happens that you're in the motion, you're doing the activity, and then something goes off in your brain that says, how about this? Hang on, that's not normal or that's not standard. So what I'm saying is, I, the king stuff, usually it's a free-flowing thing for me that happens. I don't have a set of, a menu that says I like this, I like that. For king stuff, it's always in the motion, in the moment that I go, oh, okay, how about we do this? Mm. Mm. Although we did have a spectacularly hot threesome. Oh, that was... That was good, yeah. I remember, I guess, getting out of the chair before. <laughs> I think that was after the minute, two and two minutes and 30 seconds yeah. or something. One minute he was in his chair and me and uh, my female friend were getting it on and the next minute I turned around and he's just materialised <laughs> out of the chair and he was heading over towards us. So it was on for young and old, wasn't it? It was good fun. <laughs> Beautiful. Um. So, I mean, Mark, how do you how do you feel like you know in general your life has changed since meeting Anya and and you know and just being able to express yourself in this way? I am way, way, way happier because there's a connection there. You get a share. When you don't have someone to share things with or thoughts, mm. it can be a little closed off or sort of you feel a little, I've got something to share, but I can't share it. So with Anya, I feel a hell of a lot more freedom and happier mm. because I see her and I know I can share, I can be myself with her. Awesome. And would you would you say that you have other people in your life that are sex positive that you can talk about sex with? No, no one. And I can imagine that's not easy. No, it's not. Like, well, it's sort of general life, everyone's in their own little silo, so to speak. So they're all doing stuff and they don't usually venture out with their thoughts, don't usually venture out of that own, their own certain silo, so. It's a funny expectation that we have in society, isn't it? Like um, just all of us as kids, we're sort of just, expected to somehow magic up a relationship that's going to work and that you get married and have kids and have a very traditional kind of experience and when it doesn't happen that way mm -hmm. 
You've got to go to plan B. You've got to go to plan B, yeah. <laughs> I think sex workers and people with disability are, can really resonate with each other that way because the stigma about being a sex worker is, you know, you just expected that you can't have a, a relationship or a deep and meaningful connection with a, with a partner or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think that there's a, even though I choose to be a sex worker, whereas if you have a disability, you don't choose that. But I find, you know, I have something really in common with people who have a disability in that way that, you know, your parents just sort of expected you to magic up this relationship that, you know, and there was a lot of discussion with parents and their kids with disabilities always about what is plan B if that doesn't happen the way that you... Mm. Mm. And that kind of also leads on, I was going to ask about um, how do you navigate and around the delineation between you know, the, the professional and the you know, non-professional relationship? Yeah, I think, you know, that, that's something that um, gets easier over time, but really letting clients know early on that this is you know it's a special type of relationship you share deep things with each other but there always has to be some kind of boundaries around um you know personal space and um so something like with that's evolved over time but in the beginning if we you know if we were if I was getting a lot of messages or being asked, you know, lots of personal questions or whatever, it might raise a few red flags for me. I think my advice would be to anybody who's being a sex worker is to remember that it is a service that is provided and think of it like you'd think about your podiatrist or your hairdresser, that you get together and you do what you're doing and afterwards, you know, really having that boundary about um you know it's it's not a personal relationship because you can ruin the experience if you want to make it more than what it is because as you say it's a service yeah. so yeah and you enjoy that service and if you try to make it more than that it can for whatever reason, you could find it very confronting or disturbing and you might say, look, it's been good, but you're doing this stuff. I don't think we can have contact with each other. So that would like devastate me. So I just treat it like a business and yes, you know where to put the boundaries. Yeah, cool. There's actually, if I, um, there's a sex worker called Georgie Wolf, and she has a podcast, and she's written a book called The Art of the Hookup, and she navigates these things really well. Like, you know, I'd, I'd recommend people um, reading blogs and whatnot about um, sex workers and the expectation around that. That can be really helpful for people. Um, I was listening to something that she said the other day, and she was talking about in the kink scene you know about drop right so if you have this heightened experience and it's been really good and you've had this really good sexy fun the next day you can have a drop and you can actually feel a little bit down and depressed about it she explained it really well that that often also happens if you have a really good sexual session that the next day you can have a drop and you might put that down to oh you're getting too attached to the escort that you've seen or maybe you feel guilty maybe you shouldn't be having these experiences or whatever and actually sometimes it's just drop so if you let if you realize that and then a few days later you start to you know get your endorphins back up again mm. um that can explain sometimes why you feel a bit down the next day mm. about it all brain chemicals sorry it's all brain chemicals all brain chemicals. If you have a really big high, you're going to have a bit of a low exactly. after you've 
Mm. Mm. Um, Anya, have you ever been in a situation where, from with your work, have you ever had um, a parent uh, uh, ring you for your services for a client with a disability? And can Absolutely. you explain the experience from that? I've had a few, quite a few instances where either the parent or the carer of the person has made contact with me. And it's been a long considered decision because in South Australia, sex work is criminalised. So not mm. only is a parent um, instigating the, the contact with a sex worker, which, you know, is a bit of a taboo because you're thinking about your child's sexuality, your adult child. Um, but also in this state, you're breaking the law. So you're, you're organising a criminal activity to occur. Um, but I would... I have had really excellent experiences where parents have um, made the contact and then, you know, made the arrangements for their adult child to, you know, have this experience and by all accounts um, the happiness and joy that's generated, you know, I've, I've gone on to see clients for quite some time who've been in that situation and um, yeah, I had one in particular last year, he was a man in his 50s, he'd had a motor vehicle accident when he was in his 20s, so he was a virgin at 50 and he was diagnosed with terminal liver cancer and it wasn't until then that his family finally listened and decided that he deserved to have some company and um, you know by the time I saw him he was in palliative care and he had a lot of attachments and um, he was very unwell but we had these amazing experiences we caught up about four or five times and the joy and the happiness and, you know, the grief as well. Um, I'm so grateful that I got to experience that with that person. Yeah, life-changing for me and you know, just, just to help somebody ease gently into the next yeah. stage of wherever they're going was pretty special. Was that, was that a lot of, like, I was lucky because I've had that experience before where people are in palliative care and they've got a lot of attachments in their body and they're very unwell so I think you'd need to pick your person for that you, you know you're going in you really got to be careful that you're not going to hurt somebody to start with and how do you navigate this sort of hospital bed and whatnot so um, this is my chance to talk about Touching Base, who are a New South Wales-based um, group who um, supply information for people with disabilities and sex workers who have had disability training. And in South Australia, there's SIN, the Sex Industry Network, and they've got a list of providers who are happy to see people with disabilities. I think, you know, you'd start there if you were in... Uh, you know, if you had severe um, mobility issues or you were in palliative care or whatnot, to make sure you got a provider that was, you know, open to coming into a situation that for a lot of people is very unfamiliar. Thank but you yeah, for sharing. Great. What a, what a beautiful human this person was. Mm -hmm. And what his carer, to listen to him, he'd been asking for years. And this carer finally said, fuck this. You know what? I'm going to organise this, even though it's in this state, it is, you know, a big thing for a carer to organise. And we had a, yeah, fantastic time. Yeah, that's really beautiful. That's, that's, I'm so glad that um, he got to um, experience that before he moved on to, you know, where, yeah. So, thank Me you. Me too. I just wish it had been 20 years earlier for this guy. He had all of these needs for so many years. And... You know, he physically couldn't do much by the time we caught up with each other. And what a pity that 
he wasn't listened to sooner. He'd been asking for such a long time. Yeah, it's such a struggle to hear stories around, um, you know, uh, either family members or carers that just refuse to provide, you know, the service for their for their adult child, and yet there is a need out there for it, you know, and um, so yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Hopefully, we can decriminalise this state at some point so that that barrier at least is gone. Here, here. <laughs> yeah, do do you think the um the current um the current practice is illegal? Does that deter a lot of people with disabilities from accessing the industry? It doesn't to a certain point where I find people get to a certain point in their life and they go, you know what, I'm not getting any younger. Um this service may be illegal but what are they, you know, perhaps you start looking at it in a different way and then, you know, if you do make contact with someone, you might make contact with them and never, you know, see them again or never never talk to them again because it's a bit scary. But once you do go through that and make a booking, you realise all these myths that you've been thought were true, you know, that people are trafficked and they're doing things that they don't want to do and... Mm all of that is the biggest myth in this industry i'm sure it happens on some level but it's it's not the norm particularly in australia mm -hmm. so it probably does hold people back but it also makes a lot of people go you know what it's my body it's my choice um i have you know a need and if someone's willing to provide that what's mm -hmm. the problem mm -hmm. Mm. Mark, do you, going back a bit of time I guess, um, do you remember your first sexual experience? I'm trying to think of it now. <laughs> yes, I like it was a very <laughs> I moved out of home, so I was living on my own, and I thought, basically while I was living at home, I was trying to work out, okay, how do you get to this point that you want to be at? And long story short, yes, I um, found this advert in the paper. I did it. I rang them up. They came over. <laughs> I'll admit it was a, you're very, I was very, very scared at the time. Even at the start, during, and at the end, I was still scared. And then probably a day or so afterwards, I'm going, that was really, really, really enjoyable and much needed. You have to do that again. Mm. So, yes, all I remember from my first experience was that I was very scared because I hadn't been in that situation before. I've never seen a naked lady before. Um, I didn't know what you meant to do. So just the mechanics and the touching and that, I was very scared. That's all I can sort of remember was the frightened factor. And how was she about it? Did she... I'm assuming it was a she. It was. How are some people's <laughs> She was, um, she was good at it. I'm trying to remember. She wasn't very cuddly about it. Mm. Like, you know, I'm empathetic about it. Right. It was more of a, okay, this is, um, job number, blah, blah, blah. So mm. it was, Basic, yeah. yeah. Good, good word for it. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh, if we could, we could all recount our first experiences. A lot of them have been a bit of a fizzer. <laughs> mine was. <laughs> I think mine was a one-minute wonder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all new. You don't know what's going on. Like, yeah. 
Where as mm-hmm. right now, the point where all that now, yeah, I think if I had this knowledge back when I first started, the world would be a different place. And mm. and did you were you able to tell anyone, Mark, that you had seen someone? No. No. I have. I'm wondering whether my parents sort of have an inkling, but I've never actually had that conversation with them. Mm. It's family's parents talking about anything to do with sex is always a bit of a turn red situation. Oh, it's a bit funny. So I have never um, talked about my experiences like in seeing sex workers with anyone. So what advice would you give to parents of children with disability around ideas about sex and sexuality? Have you got any advice that you give to parents? Well, the child, if, yeah, no, okay, I'd say be not honest, well, yes, be honest, but be, what's the word for it, caring and just talk to them about this. If you're having these feelings, there is a service that we can get you to experience these feelings that you want. Well, what about just in general, the fact that, you know, parents don't talk to their kids about sexuality or sex much at all, and hopefully that's changing a bit now. But how are we just supposed to magically understand how these things work if we're not talking about it? Not even just parents, education as well, the education system, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. What a pity. No, good thing. We're all missing out on the deeper relationships because we're just the stigma around talking about it is so great. So the and, and also, together. yeah, and also, I mean, what we we've talked about it a lot, but you know, the, the whole notion that often people with disabilities are seen as non-sexual or um, asexual, whatever you want to call it. And the fact that, you know, I think quite often people with disabilities can start believing what society tells them. So they're often um, stuck in the mindset of um, that's not possible for them or um, that's not something that they can access. So I think it really really good both both ways yeah what a pity we need to change it thank you guys for having such a great podcast <laughs> can't wait to listen to the other ones thank you cognitive uh anya uh your um your client with cognitive disabilities uh you were briefly explaining that you do have um uh, clients that do have those kind of cognitive disabilities. Um, do you, what, what, have you ever experienced someone who's uh, uh, either non-verbal and, um, uh, yeah, the, the what's the word for in, it? The man Sorry? in palliative care was non-verbal. He had a very limited um, ability to communicate. It was all visual and he was a hemiplegic as well, so he had very small. He could put have his thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, right. So he could express consent, and his carers were able to communicate with him a lot. And once I had to sort of stop and actually call the carer on the phone and say, "Can you just pop in and um, help us communicate here? Because I'm not quite understanding if I'm if that's an enthusiastic yes or or um, not." So that was that was definitely the the hardest experience I've had with someone with communication um, issues. But um, I wouldn't be there if this person hadn't asked for me to, to be there. Um, 
when someone has a mild intellectual disability, I have to sort of really make sure that, that I would be comfortable um, seeing somebody who may have um, some impulse control issues or something like that. So, you know, safety is paramount for both people. Um, and as far as like mild intellectual um, disabilities go, I'm completely fine so long as everybody's an adult and can understand um, the complexities of what's going on in a in a sexual situation. And yep. sometimes I become a bit like a mentor. You know, I had one client who was saying, "Oh, he's met somebody and he thinks they're really nice, and could it could I help navigate through that?" And then I realized, oh, she was um, like an Instagram model and she was totally trying to scam this guy out of cash, which may seem funny from a sex worker, but our transaction is really honest up front. He knows how much he's paying me and um, what the deal is. So I ended up helping him navigate through what is a real relationship and what might be somebody trying to scam you out of your cash. and. Mm. You know, it's hard when people are vulnerable because they have an intellectual disability. They can really get taken for Yes, a indeed, yeah. yeah. But, of course, sometimes I have to say no. Somebody's, um, somebody's um, cognitive issues might be so great that I don't feel like I could get informed consent or I might be worried that they won't be able to understand the boundaries and they might develop, you know too strong of a feeling or want to go and like tell everybody or go and tell them my address or whatever. I have to really navigate around that. Hmm. Yeah, but it's, you know, individual. Every person is different. Thank you. Funny, isn't it? We all make the world go around. We do and we're all, as I said, we're all different and a lot of it is not acceptance, it's a trial and error thing with life and with sex and uh, get from your thought in your brain to happen the activity actually happen. It's a lot of trial and error. It is and sometimes like, um, you know, we'll overestimate our ability to do something yes. with you. <laughs> Give it a shot and it comes falling down in it. Yeah. So, yeah that was a trial and an error. <laughs> Sometimes it's me. I'm not getting any younger. My body can't do the things that I want it to <laughs> I love how comfortable you guys are. You know, it's really nice that you've um, been able to talk about uh, your... Um, the 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 intimacy that you both have and how comfortable you are with each other it's wonderful to see that's because mm. mark is such a top bloke mm. a <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a great it's a great um advertisement for how we should um view sex uh, indeed view our sexuality just around then to talk about it freely and really not have any shame around it because um, you know, I think that's obviously easier said than done, but but when we hold on to shame around these things, you know, they're often behind closed doors and, um, yeah, we don't get to, to freely express ourselves. Yeah, mm, um, I actually have a question for both of you, for you, Mark, and for you, um, Anya. Um, what would you like to see change with um, uh, the accessibility for people with disabilities um, around uh, sex or sex work or, or just in general relationship or intimacy, things like that? If there was... Like, um, this sounds weird, but in the government, if there was a department that was geared up to take on that, not responsibility, but take on the information. So if someone was who had a disability was at the point where, hang on, 
I've never had that this sexual experience before. I'm wondering now if there was a place where you could go to, like sin, that you could then feel a bit more comfortable because you're getting this information off of your chest and have making it easier for that department or whoever you're talking to, a company, to give you advice about how you can make it happen. Yeah, I know if like overseas is. dating agencies like Stars in the Sky and uh, whatnot, I don't know if you guys have heard of, of them. I think they were featured on um, a show called The Undateables. Where yeah. people might have physical disabilities yeah. or whatever disability they have. There's actually a dating agency in the UK that will assist people with a disability to go on a date. Like, isn't that great? Why don't we have something That's like awesome. that here? Yeah. Great. Yeah, but just anything that educates and decreases the stigma is a good idea. Isn't it? It is. And empowers the disabled whoever be the person to get out of the point that they are in to experience what they want to mm. with the help of someone mm. rather than like i said trial and error if there was less error from the trial mm. if there was a department like sin that you could go to and feel comfortable about moving forward even right when it comes down to so i went i did a university degree in a healthcare related field and we didn't really talk about it and then you know you'd have um clients who had sexual needs basically it was like an elephant in the room that no one was willing to address or discuss mm -hmm. and um what a pity because i think things are changing now that was a few, you know i was at uni quite a few years ago now but not once did I ever have a, a lecture or a discussion about people's sexual needs or... And, you know, I'd, I'd be treating people with sort of brain injuries that might have sexual impulses. And it was just embarrassing. I didn't know how to address it. I didn't know what to say to these, you know, people. I was young, so I was in an awkward stage of my life. Imagine if we just discussed it and um, talked about it beforehand and then said, oh, hey, that's okay. Let's have a talk about it and let's discuss... Mm what your feelings are and you know it's normal to feel like that and what yeah. is there anything that we can do to refer you on to somebody to talk yeah. about it unfortunately i think we still live in a paradigm where um where sex is largely seen as to be necessary for procreation and um we we're not yet able to uh, really um, acknowledge the therapeutic values of sex and intimacy, particularly for um, you know, understanding our own pleasure and um, particularly for you know, people with disabilities that might experience pain. Um, sex can actually be extremely therapeutic Absolutely. We all know what it's like if we haven't been touched for a while, you know, apart from people that don't like being touched, but how hard is it for people to imagine, you know, we all know on a personal level what it's like. Mm. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing what touch can do to someone, just even, just even if it's just a massage or just a hug or just a gentle stroke on the cheek Absolutely. you know um yeah it can a bring a smile to anyone's getting, face only getting touched by you know carers to wash and dress and you know this includes people yeah. in nursing homes and whatnot as well wow oh, come on <laughs> yeah yeah it's not, not until really we come to realize that um sex and intimacy and uh all of it and it's human connection is just a a human right. Um, yeah. But really, everyone, it doesn't discriminate <laughs> who should be 
able to access that. So, um, and I see a lot of the pearl clutches saying, oh, just because somebody has this need doesn't mean, you know, it, that they they have a right to be um, a sexual being, you know, and they talk about particularly sex workers, like we're people who are being abused just by the nature of the job that we do. Mm. And I really wish, we say this often, Mark and I, I really wish someone could see what this interaction is actually like because it's completely different to what, um, you know, this, this imagined myth around paying for sex is. Yep. Mm. Well, I mean, usually the, the people that want to critique or be a critic of it um, <laughs> are people that are just projecting their own poor sex life. Yeah, a lot of them, a lot of the people that vote against our rights are um, actually playing up quite a lot. <laughs> oh, indeed. Yes, they regularly... <laughs> Come and visit, you know, um, you know, sex workers and you know all that. So yes, yeah, yeah. Maybe, um, maybe we should um, give it a come up, wind it up here. But um, I was thinking, um, Mark, I just wanted to, to to finish off with you and to ask just in terms of moving forward. You know, what what are your you know hopes? And, and dreams for the future beyond maybe uh, Anya, or maybe even with Anya. What, 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 are you, what are you looking for in the future? In the, I'll be honest, in the future, I've sort of shut off my part of the brain of looking for someone outside of a sex worker. What I Everything I need, like the emotional connection, the happiness, the togetherness that I get from Anya, I see no reason to change it. Because it's a good relationship. We both know where we stand. So moving forward to a point, I don't want to move forward. I just want to stay how it is at the moment. Awesome. Do you think that's partly cool. based on fear of rejection? It is. Yeah. It's based on that and based mm -hmm. on historical things that have happened. That's why I said that part of my brain goes, no, 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 don't go there, don't go there. So now I'm in this sort of happy field mm. that I think, you're happy in this field. It's enjoyable mm. you can be yourself there's no chance of um made to feel like you're less than what you are mm. you can touch you can hold hands you can just lie there you can have everything you want so i'm thinking i like this field i'll just <laughs> stay here forever i think mark i hope you don't mind me sharing you were so badly bullied at School, I think I can see in you um, there's a bit of fear in there that you know if I put myself out there I might be rejected no yep you are totally right I hope I hope one day you can <laughs> let go of that a little bit let go of that <laughs> it might take a little bit if I'm honest at the moment I could not see it happening yeah, fair mm. enough but that's now things could happen. 48 hours time, I could meet someone that would go, hang on, that's worth mm. taking a chance on and giving your heart mm. maybe broken for. If it's any consolation, if it's any consolation, Mark, I think I, I've definitely experienced the same and, and I think I think a fear of rejection doesn't discriminate um, really between anyone. I think in some ways, fear of rejection is a lifelong battle. Whatever your whatever 
to applying it to relationships or to other other aspects of your life as well. So, um, very important. It's about um, being yeah, getting back on the horse <laughs> again eventually and you know, giving it another go. Well, I, I know from my own experience that um, yeah, it's often hard to do that, but um, yeah, that's what life, the, the challenge of life is about, I think. Okay, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure in the fullness of time, um, yeah, um, see you back on the horse. We'll continue Thank to have fun you. in the meantime. <laughs> 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 Definitely. Don't, yeah, for as long as you can. Wonderful. Oh, thank you. Maybe I'll be rocking up here with uh, my walker one day. (laughs) (laughs) I would. I'd probably invest in a swing by that stage. That's so much fun. Oh, who says we don't have one, Jared? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) wonderful, wonderful. Well, on that note, I just want to say um, thank you so much for a, a, a wonderful um, interview to Mark and Anya and to my wonderful friend and hostess, host with the mostest, Oliver, as well. Um, but uh, thank you, guys. Um, and, um, yeah, anything you'd like to say, Ollie, before we go? I think so. I just want to say thank you to both of you guys been a great conversation and um, really insightful and I hope lots of people can get a lot out of it. Yeah, I reckon they will. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation and during this talk, even I've learnt a bit. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, and thanks for having us and um, hopefully when the borders open up a bit more and travel's a bit safer, I'll get to see you guys in person and play. It would be lovely to meet you, Anya. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, guys, and um, and have a good evening. Thank you. You too.